Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. If not, then you should go take a look at some of the products by Perfect Keto because they provide some powdered forms of MCT oil and exogenous ketones, which is great for backpacking, by the way, that allows you to get back into ketosis faster if for some reason you fell off the bandwagon. So go to summitforwellness.com slash perfectketo to learn more. All right, if you stuck around to the end of last week's episode, then you already know what this episode is going to be about, but I brought on uh, functional movement specialist Julia Maricelli to talk about autoimmunity and movement and how to find ways to be able to move and exercise comfortably if you are suffering from autoimmune issues such as fibromyalgia. Julia herself has quite a few different autoimmune issues, so she has been able to figure out a lot of different ways within her own body of how to be successful with having a movement program and also ways to listen to your body and provide what it needs for that day. If today your body isn't ready to do any kind of exercise, then you have to be comfortable with that and you have to just let it go. Every single day is a new journey for those with autoimmunity So you have to listen to your body. And that's one of the big messages that Julia wanted to uh, bring forth in this episode. So let's dive into my conversation with Julia all about autoimmunity and movement. Julia Moricelli is a founder of 626 Fitness in Pasadena, California. She is a functional movement specialist, certified personal trainer, wellness specialist, and has been part of the evolution of the fitness industry. She is also a fellow of applied functional science and is frequently featured on ABC7 News in LA. Julia has a unique insight into the particular needs and complications faced by clients with fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, and other autoimmune disorders. Thanks, Julia, for coming on to the show. You're welcome. I'm excited. Now, Julia, I know that you have gone through your own journey with autoimmunity. So can you describe some of your own experiences with autoimmune diseases? Sure. Um, My journey started very young, likely as young as four or five. Um, But of course, um, I didn't know that anything was wrong because it was my normal. So I had symptoms of IBS. And, and probably some forms of fatigue very young. And who knows what triggered it. Um, that would, so that would have been back in the 60s because I'm 56 years old. Um, when I was first diagnosed, you know, my father was a smoker and everybody was a smoker and, you know, drove you in the car with windows rolled up. So did cigarette smoke trigger it? Did pollution trigger it? Did vaccines? Who knows? Um, but I know that though they go back very young. I just didn't realize that. And then finally, it it just kept creeping up on me. Um, By high school, I knew there was something just a little off. I always needed to rest a little bit more. Um, And by my late 20s, I really knew something was wrong. I couldn't pretend anymore. 
um, you become a, a very good actress. And fortunately, I had been a professional actress when I was much younger. And I think that actually helped me survive, but at the same way, also ignore a lot of my symptoms. Um, and then when I finally started looking, they just kept telling me they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And it was either a a very nice doctor saying, well, it's not Lyme's disease, or it's not this, or it's not that. We just don't know what to do with you. Or it was a very dismissive uh, doctor saying, you're just depressed. It's anxiety. Um, and I also found shame within you know, my own industry of people thinking that these things were made up. Um, so finally, by my mid-30s, I was finally diagnosed with my first autoimmune disorder, uh, which was... Uh, though technically they say it, it's not necessarily autoimmune anymore, is chronic fatigue syndrome. And then as time went on, I had fibromyalgia and Hashimoto's and IBS um, and then just several others. Um, once I went through perimenopause, once I started perimenopause and I was on the younger side, I was 37, everything went on steroids. Just every issue I had just increased a hundred times over. So by the time I was through, um, I was pretty beat. So I just was relentless in just finding answer after answer and trying doctor after doctor to get my um, diagnosis. So, you know, you definitely um, have to fight the good fight because otherwise you will be quickly dismissed. So it, it sounds like it took quite a long time for you to actually get a diagnosis. So I'm sure the entire process leading up to that point, you were going through all these different testing and blood tests and re receiving all of these results that weren't re very conclusive. So once you actually got your diagnosis and you saw the results come in, was that kind of like the, the cherry on top for you? Like, is that the end of the road or is that kind of the beginning of trying to figure out what to do next? It's both. Um, the getting the diagnosis was just for me very empowering because now I had a name to something and I could research it and I could attack it, even if they didn't know a lot, you know, especially in the case of um, fibromyalgia, um, even if they didn't know a lot about what was going on, at least I had some foundation that I could look into and and start um, attacking it. But it's definitely just the beginning of the journey. Um, as we know, when you fall into an autoimmune category, um, barring some thing that happens in medical science, um, you have it for life. You know, it doesn't it doesn't go away. So it's like, uh, you know, type one diabetes. Um, it's not going to go away. You're just going to learn to control it. And until they can find some type of cure, if they ever do, you have an ongoing journey of having to find what works for you. And it's great to reach out to people and see what worked for them to give you an idea. And sometimes it's worth trying. Um, but these autoimmune disorders are very deceiving and very sneaky. So you really, really have to continue um, to find out what works for you. And that can change on a daily basis as well. And before we get too deep into all this, can you explain what autoimmunity is? Um, autoimmune is basically the body attacking its immune something in its immune system it can be your thyroid it can be your pancreas it can be your neuromuscular system so things like lupus ms um ms they go back and forth um all of these things can go after your immune system and um and once that happens um you're kind of in a you you get in a bad place and 
it can start two ways. It can start very quickly, um, a car accident, a life trauma, or it can be like in my case, a gradual um, disorder that also either morphs or takes on different um, disorders as well. So um, once again, once you find it, it's very individual. So looking back at uh, the time it took to receive your first diagnosis, is there any way that you would have been able to help the doctors to be able to better find the right test to test for to get to that diagnosis? Or do you just have to let the doctors go through their process and try to figure it out over this extended period of time? Um, when I was first started looking, um, there weren't a lot of answers. Um, you know, even though something like fibromyalgia was there and Hashimoto's, if you don't, with any type of thyroid disorder, if you don't fall within um, their numbers and their blood test, um, then to them, you don't have it. So even though you have every symptom and you pretty much for sure have it, if it's not falling within their numbers, they dismiss it. So um, now we definitely have a lot more help. Uh, there's a lot out there from functional medicine doctors to even general doctors being very um, open um, to um, um, learning and, uh, and understanding from their patients. And I think that's a key thing you have to find. So the biggest thing for me was just being relentless and saying, nope, okay, great. It, it's not Lyme's disease. That's fine. But there's something. This isn't right. And, um, and then now, because you do know, do your research. Um, so I would say um, go on to the websites for fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue. Don't do just general websites and don't tell them you did an internet search. Otherwise, the doctor will quickly dismiss you. Um, you just say, I have found through my research that I have nine of the 11 symptoms for uh, fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue or, or whatever you're having, uh, because at least it's a place to start. Um, and then you just have to kind of, and then you go from there. And really, especially with, um, you know, Hashimoto's is very obvious. It's a blood test. Fibromyalgia is a diagnosis of exclusion. So they have to exclude all these other disorders um, before they actually get to that. Um, they, they do now have a blood test for it. It takes a little while to get it back and it's usually not covered by insurance. But generally, if you've got all the symptoms and you've got the trigger points, so these are areas of the body where they apply about five pounds of pressure onto you. If you have those trigger points, those sensitivity areas, then they pretty much know that you fall into the fibromyalgia category. I'm guessing that going through your own journey, you probably ran into doctors that would just dismiss your symptoms because on the lab tests, everything looks fine. How many doctors did it take for you to actually get the diagnosis, your first diagnosis? Uh, one, two, three, um, five before I got a single diagnosis. And then after that, I, I moved and um, had doctors dismissing my diagnosis and saying to me, you're just depressed, go see a psychologist. You just have anxiety, go see a psychologist. And this was doctors, young and old, male and female. So um, different uh, you know, backgrounds, they all grew up in different areas. So there was no really one um, idea. And then it was, 
I got very lucky um, at the time I was with with uh, Kaiser Insurance, um, which is their own hospital, and somebody recommended a doctor to me. And she immediately noticed that I had the symptoms of fibromyalgia and sent me to the rheumatologist, who really didn't know what to do with it, but at least he gave me a diagnosis. Um, and they actually encouraged me to seek out alternative medicine, which I thought was pretty great. Um, that they said, you know, we can only do so much. We're very great at certain things, but other things were not so great. And remember, this has gone back to about 2001. So it definitely has progressed, uh, thankfully so, a lot. Um, but doctors, you know, uh, they, some can be very open and receptive and some aren't. So if the doctor doesn't answer your question or dismisses you, find another doctor. Don't stay with them. And I'm guessing there's a lot of frustration with that, too, when the doctors are just pushing off the symptoms, especially when you're going through so much pain and fatigue and uncertainty. So do you have any recommendations on how to be able to communicate with doctors without trying to bite their throats off or just to make sure that they understand, I really do feel this way and I need help? Yes. Um, and kind of, um, especially if, if you weren't diagnosed young, um, explain to them what your lifestyle was like prior to um, getting hit with this or whether it was gradual or slow. But even for me, my symptoms got much worse. So I always had those underlying symptoms, but then they just got so bad. And I had to keep saying to the doctors, no, this isn't normal. This was my lifestyle before. Um, I had never weighed more than 123 pounds, and now I was 150 pounds. So what is happening? Why is this happening? And I, at first I got a lot of, well, you're getting older. And I was only 35. And I'm like, okay, I'm only 35. Like, I'm not that old. <laughs> um, and those type of things. Um, so even the nice doctors who weren't dismissing um, you and your feelings, they were dismissing um, you to it's just aging. So you want to be very, very clear. And again, go back to your research. Um, and a lot of the if you feel you have something, so if you feel you've got fibromyalgia, go to the website for fibromyalgia and, and they will usually give you tips to also speak to the doctors um, based on that. And, um, and then just ask them, you know, I was pretty insistent on running blood tests. And at one point um, with my doctor that was from Kaiser, it was very receptive. Um, I asked her to run a bone density test on me and she said, well, you're still a little young. And I said, you know, my aunt had it. Um, I never weighed above 127 pounds until I was 38 years old. Um, I never weighed above 123, actually, and 127 is the weight for osteo. And I'm very small boned. I'm Caucasian. You know, I just want to rule it out. I just want to get a baseline. And sure enough, I was already into full blown osteoporosis in my right hip. So she and the endocrinologist looked at me both and said, Congratulations, we would have never found this. You likely would have broken a hip. Um, before we found this, because we would have waited till you were in your 50s. And at that point, I would have been very, very far progressed. So it it really, really is all about being relentless. Fortunately, I'm somebody that, fortunately and unfortunately, I'm a dog with a bone. So once I get it set, I just will have to fight really hard. Because if you don't, you just, you have no life too. So just be very patient and and understanding with them as much as you want to scream at the top of your lungs. And if you don't get anywhere, again, find somebody who will. So you do have to be your own advocate, too, and just keep pushing for, mm -hmm. I want you to test this. I want you to look into this. Please look into this for me. But to the point where you're 
trying to get the seat in front of them, but you're not just blowing a train straight through them and taking them out of their actual position as a physician, right? Absolutely. And, and if, um, um, when I see my functional medicine doctor, when, um, at that time I was, when I was with Kaiser, um, she would, she would request, she would actually write out prescriptions for me and I would take it to my doctor and ask if they could, um, run this test, um, because then she knew it would be covered. So, which was really nice. Um, and, um, but you know, my doctor was receptive to the functional medicine doctor who was a full on MD and saying, okay, I can do some things for her, but I can't get this test covered unless you guys cover it. And I fortunately had great success with, um, some of the doctors. Once my doctor retired, it became a little bit more difficult. Um, and, um, but I will tell you most doctors, your general physicians, especially more than your specialists, they really appreciate an educated client uh, or patient um, that goes in and does their research. A big key, huge uh, that I don't want to miss is write it down. Have everything in a book, all your symptoms, because it's very overwhelming. And have somebody with you, because when they talk to you and you find these things out, it's very overwhelming when you're the patient. But throughout the whole process. So sometimes having somebody there that might hear something that you didn't from the doctor and because doctor's times are so limited, they really appreciate you going in, having a list. Um, I was actually um, told by a, a client of mine who is a hematologist oncologist to have my own um, medical file where it went in and my height, my weight, my parents' history, my siblings' history, um, my medications, everything I was diagnosed with and symptoms and hand it to them as soon as they walk in. Cause they give you that form and half the time you can't even find it. You can't read it. You don't know, or they don't give you enough room to write. So if you have everything put in, they take it and they scan it and they put it right in your file. And most of them find it very helpful. Um, one doctor actually called it my manifesto, which I thought was quite funny. Um, <laughs> and, um, because when you have autoimmune, you got a long list, um, but right. it went in. So they knew um, everything. And I, I try to go back. I'm fortunate that I know my grandparents' history um, as well. So, um, and a lot of my aunts and uncles. So I want to kind of, um, the, the more you know, the more informed you are because genetics can play a key role in a lot of these. Obviously it was there, it's underlying and something triggered it. So um, something may not have had a name when your grandmother had it, but your grandmother may have had it too. In fact, my mother um, was diagnosed with fibromyalgia after I was, and I told her to look into it. And sure enough. Um, so there, there was no doubt I take genetically after my mother, that that's where it came from. So be, you know, really be educated. Since you've been dealing with all these autoimmune issues for so long, what are some triggers that you have found um, that can really open up a full autoimmune attack on your body? Um, well, of course, we have the three basic triggers of the physical, the biological, and the mental or emotional. So uh, what we know is the body only knows stress. It doesn't know where it's coming from. So for me, my parents passed away 16 months apart. Huge trigger. Obviously, that obviously it's it's a it's a not a good time. And um, as as well as you can take it, it's still a lot of stress on you. Um, overdoing it um, at work um, and in your social life 
Um, know that something is going to, for lack of a better word, suffer. So you have to give in. Um, and because if you do overdo it, you can really set yourself back. Um, and emotional triggers, um, of course, biological, what are you eating? Um, where do you live? Um, do you, I live in LA. So I know I'm sucking on thousands of pounds of jet fuel every single day, um, living in, in Los Angeles. So I have to fight it in other ways. So I have to be much more careful, you know, especially because it can flare my asthma. And if my asthma flares, that's my, that's putting my body under a physical stress. So then of course that can trigger something else. So you really have to kind of look at what, look at what is bothering you, what is happening at the time. And life is stress. I mean, there's just no way around it. So my first doctor that diagnosed me with the chronic fatigue syndrome, um, looked at me straight in the eye and said, I don't want you to commit to going to the movies with a friend. She said, if you can't, you know, no commitments. If you can do something that day, you do it. But unless you have to, because she knew that my work, which um, at that time required me to travel, was going to take up a big part of that. Um, and then there's certain things, weddings, certain things that you really don't want to miss. So you have to decide because you know that it's going to put too much of physical stress and by knowing that, there's going to be that physical stress or that mental stress of you, um, knowing that you have to anticipate, oh, my gosh, I'm going to overdo it. I'm going to be exhausted. And then that, of course, um, a lot of times stress causes you to eat bad. So you get into this vicious cycle. Uh, plus, you, you feel pretty awful. Um, so it's really not easy to kind of cook for yourself and do these things. So you need to find your resources and ask for help um, because the more you try to do on your own, the more you're going to stress your body. And in there, you mentioned uh, eating bad. And we do know that uh, certain foods can cause a bunch of inflammatory reactions within the body, um, which can definitely trigger autoimmunity. So how can people find out what foods trigger them? And then what can they do to start avoiding those types of foods? Um, there are, um, there are some ways there's, um, you know, now we have the DNA testing, um, which is showing you, um, you can do like a 23 of me and there are some, uh, nutritionists that actually can look into DNA wise, what might be a trigger. I know for me, um, I did the 23 of me and I, I carry one of the two gluten genes. So though I've never been diagnosed with celiacs, I do have intolerance. And now that I know I have one of the genes, that of course makes a lot of sense. Um, there's also the blood test um, that a lot of functional medicine doctors will do. Uh, it's expensive, it's about $500 to find these tests. Um, I think it's, you can probably find places a little bit cheaper, just depends on how in depth you wanna go. And um, they can find triggers in your blood. Um, and, um, Remember, that's broad based. And sometimes that's based on <clears throat> if you've been eating a lot of something. So for my doctor, when we went over my blood results, she because of the severity of my symptoms, she wanted me to cut things out for a year. Um, if you're generally healthy and you get one of these blood tests, you might have to cut out these foods for three months. So things like eggs or um, it could be random. Like I had almonds. So apparently I I, I, I mean, nuts are, are a trigger for me now, I know. But why did they specifically do almonds? And it was probably because I, I knew I was eating a lot of them at the time. So um, that was a big thing that I had to find out and learn how to rotate my foods. And then the biggest thing is how do you feel? Eating something 
waiting a while before you eat. You know, of course, a lot of times we, um, you know, we tend to eat out of just stress or boredom. So eating your meal, how do you feel afterwards? Are you having a reaction? And then listing what you had that day. Now, sometimes those triggers can go back a week and sometimes it's the combination of two foods together. So you might be able to get away with a little bit of gluten and you might be able to get away with cheese, but when you combine them together on a pizza, now all of a sudden you have a problem. Um, so sometimes the, the, what that'll do is it'll just make your, it'll exacerbate, um, your symptoms and you think it's pizza, but what it really is, it's the it's likely the gluten product or the wheat product. Cause sometimes it's not gluten, it's wheat that's you're sensitive to and, um, and dairy products. And then what is your autoimmune disorder as well? Um, so they found that, um, thyroid people and fibromyalgia are likely sen sensitive to gluten. So the first thing they'll ask you to do is is cut that out and see if you feel any different. If you start to feel better, then it's really likely that that's one of your triggers. Yeah, and we know that food can easily be cross-contaminated with other stuff too. So even if you're eating mm -hmm. something that if you're at a restaurant that might be gluten-free, well, if they're using the same knife that they used on the gluten food over on the other counter, then you're still getting contaminated and you don't even know it. So mm -hmm. it's it's really hard to avoid a lot of those um, foods unless you are making stuff from scratch yourself. Yes, and finding, um, if you go to like uh, a P.F. Chang's, which is a chain, I think his son was diagnosed with celiac. So they actually have a gluten-free kitchen. Um, there is a pizza, you know, fortunately living in LA, of course, we have all the trends. So, but we have a pizza parlor that is, uh, they have pizza and all Italian food and their child was also diagnosed with it. So they have a certified gluten-free kitchen. So that guarantees you no cross-contamination. Um, so, you know, cause sometimes you don't have a choice if you're traveling, if you're eating out, you're like, okay, maybe this isn't the healthiest, but if, if gluten is your biggest trigger, then just you know, go to P.F. Chang's and most restaurants will kind of adapt things to be um, as as healthy as you can, at least here in L.A. I'm pretty lucky when I travel, you know, not always as much. Um, but if you look for that and even when I go to the U.K., we often go to Scotland. Um, I see more and more of the gluten free um, products um, coming up and um, and even restaurants offering that. But if you have full on celiacs, you know, then you've got to be extra, extra careful for me because it's an intolerance. If there's a little bit of cross contamination, it, it probably won't do much damage to me or nothing I can't recover from. But for celiacs, it can wipe you out for a week. Right. And also talking about that, you can use different su supplemental support as well to help mm -hmm. out with different symptoms. So can you talk about some options for supplemental support? Sure. Um, for me, um, <clears throat> some of it was so from a medical standpoint, um, bioidentical hormones helped me hugely um, because of um, what, what menopause was just impossible for me um, because now you were putting menopause, which is already um, really hard on a female, um, and then you were putting it on top of the autoimmune disorders. So I will say um, that that helped hugely. I couldn't, I really couldn't have lived without them at that time, especially at that time. Um, and then finding out blood tests, finding out what you're low in. Most people are low in vitamin D and that if you have an autoimmune disorder, um, especially like a fibromyalgia or an MS or any of these, it is going to trigger everything, um, within your body. 
Um, so you want to get those levels up and then get another blood test to make sure that you're holding on to it. So for me, I was not holding on to the vitamin D. Um, and so I have to take 10,000 units, which is an extremely high level, but I feel much better. Um, and so find out what you're low in, you know, usually a good quality multivitamin always helps because no matter what, we don't eat right. And even if you do at the turn of the century, a woman ate three to 5,000 calories per day and was not overweight, but they did everything manually. So we don't, we don't walk, we, you know, we don't move, we don't do anything. So we're not getting the nutrients we need. We don't get out in the sun. When we do, we're supposed to have slathered in sunscreen. Um, so you've got to really find out what nutrients and a full spectrum multi is always, is always usually a good way to go as well. Um, and another thing that I recently was introduced to by um, a colleague that works in my studio was CBD oil. And, um, and I mentioned it to my functional medicine doctor and she promptly put me on it. And it, it has been as life changing as um, my uh, natural thyroid medication and my hormones. That's how strong the CBD has been for me. And I was very angry that this has not been available before. Um, and um, I um, just became so um, overwhelmed by the results that I now carry it in my studio for people to get. And not only just for me, but for pets, uh, just even a difference it can make for pets. Because, you know, the pets aren't lying. If, you're, if your animal gets better because they're older and they have inflammation and the CBD can bring down the inflammation, then that's huge. And that goes back to humans. What is autoimmune disorders? It usually causes inflammation. So if you can keep that inflammation at bay through diet and supplementation, and then of course, stressors to the body, um, you're definitely going to um, win that battle. Uh, because with autoimmune disorders, you may never win the war, but you can keep winning the battles. And as, as, once you kind of, once I kind of accepted that, okay, this is going to be ongoing. If I had type one diabetes, if that was my autoimmune disorder, then that would be ongoing with me too. So I just have to look and say, okay, this is going to be ongoing. What can I do? So supplements are huge and finding somebody good that knows what's right for you. Um, and then find the ones you work and that work. If you don't feel much better, um, my functional medicine doctor is very good about me saying, you know what? I can't take oregano pills. It gives me heartburn. Um, so no matter what, I, I can't take it. So she's like, okay, don't take it. Um, so it, you know, it was one of those. And I think I found that oregano oil was okay. Um, uh, that didn't bother me as much. So I could put the oil on the bottom of my foot. Um, and that, that really helped me. So essential oils are another way. Um, they don't cure the world. Um, some people want you to think that, but they have been a, <laughs> they have been a great addition, um, to some products, especially for digestion. Um, finding out what blends work for you, um, for headaches. Um, some of those things have been just, I, I just can't believe it. Lavender oil, a good quality lavender oil for calming. I mean, and just, you can, sometimes you can just feel your heart rate kind of slow down a little bit and say, okay, let me do it. And it all goes back to in the world of autoimmunity, there's no one right answer. Um, and that way, just kind of same thing with your physical body. Uh, and that way, there's no one right answer. Everybody's an individual, so you need to be treated as such. 
It's funny that you brought up using CBD oil on pets because I actually gave my parents CBD oil for their 16-year-old little dog. And the first time that he had the oil, he became like a little rocket and was running around everywhere. Mm-hmm. And he he went super crazy because he was feeling great. So it's, it's great that we have that option for um, humans as well. But there's still so many people that are trying to shut down that supplement um, for a variety of reasons, more personal yes. reasons than anything else, but yeah. And monetary, cause obviously they can't patent it, but right. if, um, though the sad thing is, um, Monsanto, which we know are the GMOs have, um, in California medical marijuana. Now the CBD, let me take a, a little tangent there. CBD I use is from hemp. So there is no noticeable level of THC there. And, um, you wouldn't even test positive unless you took four bottles a day, which believe me, you couldn't afford. And, um, but if they use the flower, um, then you could test positive. It's a false positive. It's just like eating a poppy seed and you could test positive for, I think it's cocaine, um, or heroin, what comes from the poppy seed. Um, so, but it, um, but you don't have it. Uh, yeah, cocaine, I think it is. So you don't have to, um, to worry about that. But if you do get drug tested at work or something like that, go with the hemp. Um, it's, it's much safer than the, the THC versions. Um, but in California, medical mar- uh, marijuana did pass. Um, I actually abstained from voting from it because Monsanto was a huge proponent of it. And so now you're looking at, I think next to coffee, um, marijuana is the most pesticide induced crop. Um, and um, you want to be very cautious of where it's coming from. And if, you know, you choose to use um, and you and your doctor think that, me- you know, to go to medical marijuana is right for you because we know there's huge benefits for cancer patients, um, then make sure you're finding an organic uh, blend or growing it yourself if you can. I'm not a huge expert in that, but what I am, what I do know is the pesticides are, um, it's poison. I mean, that's just cut in print. And um, of course, Monsanto is one of the biggest uh, makers. So just remember that GMOs are Agent Orange and we all know what happened with that. So, um, and we don't get low levels. They're like, well, it's low or less level. But when it's in every food that you eat and in the air, how could you possibly be getting a low level um, in that way? So you wouldn't take too much arsenic. So why would you take too much Agent Orange? Um, but the CBD, yeah, same thing. I gave two clients um, samples and said, okay, just put your dogs on this, one for anxiety, one for old age, and they both had amazing results. And pets don't lie. There's, no, Like you said, there's no lying. Um, and the dosage, so people know, for CBD, you start with a quarter drop generally for three weeks, and then you start increasing it. Um, I take two full drops, uh, two full droppers twice a day for me. So with autoimmune disorders, I tend to need a little bit more. And um, it it was, it can take about three weeks for it to start to work because remember you need, uh, you want the receptor sites to wake up. So those receptors are in your body, just like they are for vitamins and minerals, but they've been dormant for, who know, uh, you know, unless you were a marijuana user, they've been dormant for probably your entire life. Um, so you want to slowly wake them up. And if, if you try to take too much at once, you're likely just wasting your money because you're not going to get the absorption. So definitely start, be patient and start with the three weeks. And then you start increasing gradually uh, every week till you find that good medium. 
So going back to Monsanto, are they trying to actually genetically modify marijuana now, or are they just providing the pesticides? Um, genetically modified. They bought Charlotte's Web. So the patent for, and I just learned about this, Charlotte's Web got a lot of play, and that's the reason I know about it on social media, because they showed the little girl um, that didn't have seizures. Um, when she used the medical marijuana and there was all the controversy, but the girl suffered from seizures. So apparently Charlotte's Web works with that. And, and it was actually an organic gardener that, that told me this. So it was, you know, just an interesting side effect. And, and she said, in fact, um, she grows marijuana. She uses it. And she said she did not vote for the bill because she said, you know, medical marijuana there, you know, you could get in California with no problem. And, and because of the Monsanto. So now that they bought Charlotte's Web, they are very likely, they already are, no doubt, in the labs, modifying everything they can. Um, what they actually did with, um, um, I had a client who interviewed somebody that worked for Monsanto. And this was for a pretty high up position. And he said, um, so the guy knew the company. And he talked about, he wasn't for or against anything. He just talked about the corn. So they first started really using these pesticides in corn because of the worms. And they came up with this heavy pesticide for the corn and it killed the worms. Well, the worms mutated so quickly, much faster than they anticipated that now they had to add even more and they have to keep making it stronger. So nature is very smart. It's gonna figure it out. It's like when you get a cold, you don't get that strain again, ever again. And that's because the body knows how to fight it. It says, okay, I've had that strain, it's done. So take the cold, have the cold, let it run its course. Don't try to stop it and, um, and let it get out of your system. Um, <clears throat> well, these worms were very smart and they just modified and they became, they became, I think, three times stronger than the, what they were initially. So they basically created Godzilla um, in, in trying to keep the pests away. They made even, they made even a stronger pest. Um, so do your homework, look for GMOs for sure, and avoid them at all costs. And that goes back to eating in restaurants. You know, is it, is it organic? Is it, and it doesn't necessarily have to be certified organic, but are they, you know, make sure that they're not using pesticides and antibiotics. Yeah. And if you look at what those pesticides are actually doing, they're genetically modifying the plants that if the pesticide or the pests or the worms bite into these plants, then essentially they explode from inside yes. of their intestines. Yes. And so uh, whether you think GMOs are good or not, that's up to you. But if you're eating a lot of genetically modified foods and you're coming down with all these gut issues or autoimmunity issues, what do you think is happening to the inside of your own intestines when you're eating these foods? Right. And unlike the worm, we're not going to genetically modify that quickly. You know, no. we take, as we know from, you know, looking at, uh, evolution, man, man developed very, very slowly compared to a lot of other um, animals um, on the planet. So, you know, these worms are pests, you know, and pests can regenerate really quickly. It's the old adage, there's no such thing as having one roach, you know, if you've got one, you've got, you know, hundreds of them, because they can just mutate and take on whatever you throw at them. Um, and, and if you notice how long have some of these pests been around, we've never been able to get rid of them. Um, so that's a huge thing. And you're right. It, they do, they explode from the inside out and you're eating it. You're ingesting it and putting it into your body. Um, and somebody, you know, 
So one person may never have any issues. They're fine. But that you're not them. You are your individual. So if it bothers you, don't take it. And when in doubt, don't use it. <laughs> exactly. I totally agree with that. So you, you mentioned earlier a couple of things that people can um, take to empower themselves when they have autoimmunity to uh, make their life a little easier. Um, you mentioned taking each day minute by minute. Are there some other elements to that story as well? What are some um, ways people can empower themselves to be able to make it through every single day with autoimmunity? A big thing I... Um... I kind of look at it, um, my energy is like my checkbook. If I have, if I wake up that day and I feel like I have a thousand dollars in my checkbook that I can spend, then I better spend 500 because even though I'm feeling that well, um, in, in that moment, if I overdo it, I can set myself back for a week. So the rule of thumb is usually make a list of 20 things, do 10. Um, so whatever it is you're feeling, if you have a little bit of extra energy and you feel like, oh, I can do a little bit more, do it. But the minute you start feeling tired, you've got to shut it down. Um, you have to learn to say no, um, to people. Um, that was very hard for me. Um, and, and, but just saying, you know what, I can't do it. I just, I just can't go. Um, it's, it's just not going to work. If I know I have an event coming up, um, that I, that I have to attend, um, or if I'm in a class and I, and I know I have to be able to focus and study, then I've got to alter for that. And I will pretty much shut it down. You know, my job, fortunately, I work for myself. So I am able to control my schedule to a point, but I still own my own business and I train clients and those clients depend on me. So that has to be one of my top priorities. Um, and I think for most people, it's like that. Um, if um, you're a stay-at-home mom with autoimmune disorders, you know that your family has to be a big priority. So you've got to take care of yourself. And when it comes to, you know, saying no and budgeting your time and knowing which activity is going to cause more stress, you know, if I have to do some writing, that's not usually that stressful for me. It's not physical. If I have to train clients, that's fun emotionally, but and but it can it can definitely be a little bit taxing um, physically. Not that I'm working out with them, but just kind of even handling them, going through everything, standing on my feet. So um, I always kind of spread out and rest as needed, um, and learning how to shut it down. If if you can, you know, shut your brain down and meditate, do that. Uh, <laughs> sometimes it's hard. A lot of people with autoimmune disorders have ADHD. Um, um, and it's, it's not uncommon and which is me. Um, and, um, so meditating is very difficult, but sometimes just kind of laying down with my cat purring on top of me can really just lower my heart rate. Um, pets are a great way for that. So any way that you can manage your stress level is key. But the biggest thing I learned was you make a list. And like my doctor said to me, do not commit to anything you don't have to. Um, if you have to, or it's something, you know, if it's theater tickets, okay, that's not a movie theater. Okay. I really want to go to this, this musical. I know I have to rest. So I have enough energy to do that. Um, and you know, the key is listen, listen, listen to your body. It's always telling you what's going on. We just tend to kind of ignore it. <laughs> like, so you've got to listen to it. 
That is all fantastic advice. Thank you so much, Julia. You can find Julia at 626fitness.com. Where else can people find you online? Um, I have a 626fitness Instagram, Twitter, and uh, Facebook accounts. So you can go there. And a lot of times I'll put up recipes for um, people that, um, that have a lot of the high sensitivity foods are taken out of it. So your autoimmune paleo, um, it can even be vegetarian, it can be whatever. So I try to kind of put up as much information as I can. And of course, people can always go and ask a question, even if it's about my own personal experience, feel free to ask away. Awesome, Julia. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your time. And there's so many people that are getting diagnosed with autoimmunity now that I think this type of podcast is going to be extremely valuable to them. Thanks, Brian. Thank you for letting me share my story. And hopefully it does help somebody else out there. There you have it, folks. I think Julia brought a lot of great information forward for people to empower themselves if they are suffering from autoimmune issues or if they have a lot of symptoms but haven't received a diagnosis yet, then this could be some areas to look into as well. Now, when we were talking about the GMO foods and what it's doing to your gut. Essentially, what can happen is you come down with what's called intestinal permeability or a leaky gut scenario where the tight junctions of your gut lining start to separate and you get foods or toxins or anything similar to that that leaks into your system into your bloodstream and your body starts to attack it. Now, there's been a lot of information coming out in the past few years of this assault on your immune system or on the bloodstream that could be related to the initial causes of autoimmunity. So there's a lot of fantastic information about just leaky gut and autoimmunity and how a lot of people have been able to reduce symptoms by improving their food quality and by trying to close up those tight junctions within the intestinal lining. So that is one area that you can always take a look at and see if that might be a potential thing for you to focus on, especially just to improve your own gut health. Now, we will continue this discussion over in our Facebook group. If you go to summitforwellness.com slash tribe, you can join us there, and we will talk a lot more about autoimmunity and what to do about it. And if you really liked this episode, then please go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Those ratings and reviews do make a difference in getting the show out to more people. So if you go to summitforwellness.com slash iTunes and leave us a quick review, that would be much appreciated. Keep climbing to the peak of your health, and we'll see you next time.